This morning our text is going to be Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. So if you want to follow along, you can. Um, and we're going to read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 in a kind of unique way. We're going to use it as a lens in order to view a story of Jesus interacting with a woman in the Bible. So this is my favorite kind of sermon where there is a, a story of Jesus, a historical story that happened with Jesus that illustrates a teaching from Scripture so you can really see what does this look like with hands and feet. This same passage uh, being considered today is also, is also considered in chapter 19 of our book Gentle and Lowly. Um, my small group, and I think one other small group, is on chapter 19 this past week, and so you guys have read this, and so this is my, my take on it. Um, but I'm just so excited to share, especially the story about Jesus uh, through the lens of Scripture. So first we're going to read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, just slowly meditating on the words. And then I'm going to read right after that uh, Luke 7, 36 through 50. So as we read, remember, this is God's word for you. This is not my word, this is God's word for you. It is good, trustworthy, God-breathed, God-inspired, and completely useful for building you up and equipping you for everything God has for you to do in your life, even this week. So let's read this together, and then we'll go through it and look at this uh, beautiful story. Ephesians 2, 1-10. to As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. <laughs> tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50 Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both people. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? 
I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's the word of God for us this morning. One of the great things about this pastor, I just noticed it just now, is the man said to himself, doesn't Jesus know this is a woman of sin? Why would he let him touch her? And Jesus answered him. So, you know, the times when we usually make these types of judgments against people are when we're talking to ourselves, because we, we, we wouldn't want to hear our own voice say the horrible things we think, right? So, um, next time you say something to yourself, Jesus might answer you. It's pretty interesting, right? We're going to look at Ephesians, this passage, uh, in light of this encounter that Jesus has with the sinful woman. I'm going to read the first three verses, and we're going to see, you know, what's the problem? Why do we need saving? We're going to look at verses 5 and 6 see what the saving was, the, the solution God provided. And then verse 4, the why, you know, why God saved us, the reason. So first, why do we need saving? Why does this woman in our story need saving, and why do we, in the same way, also need to be saved? As for this poor woman... If we were to read her story through Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, she was, she was dead in her trespasses and sins. She was known around her village, apparently, as a sinful woman, meaning that she had uh, an outward sin that people could see, that people gossiped about in the culture. Uh, in a culture of shame and honor, she was shamed for her sin. The, uh, the Pharisee knew who she was. She, she had a reputation. Jesus also mentioned she had many sins. Her sinfulness is no different than anyone else's sinfulness. It's just that she had been labeled and written off the way someone might label and write off a homeless or drug-addicted person they passed by time after time on the way to their coffee shop. The person who judges that person says, you know, everyone, everyone around town can see this person is a sinner. Maybe someone would say a loser ugly words. But the person who says this to themselves as they walk by that person is equally under sin. That's the context for our judgments. We are all equally under sin. It just it might not be as outward or known as the sins of some other people. The Bible teaches in Romans 3.23, you could probably quote this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All have sinned. Whether people realize it or not, we're kind of born into it. We'll look at this a little bit later. And we're all forgiven equally by Jesus. This sinful woman's sin problem is not worse than yours or mine or anyone else in her day, even the Pharisees. 
It's just socially known and easily judged and judged harshly by others who do not have mercy in their hearts because they do not see their own need for God's grace and forgiveness, right? Like all of us before we came to faith in Christ, for the forgiveness of our sins, our passage today in Ephesians teaches us that this woman was dead in her trespasses and sins at the time that she came to anoint Jesus' feet. The word for sin means missing the mark. So if you picture a target, anything but a bullseye is sin. Right? So God's righteousness is the bullseye. Sin is missing the mark. It's just something we do, and we do well. <laughs> even, uh, even our best efforts sometimes, they, they, they don't go so well. Right? We miss the mark. And if we all really understood that, we'd be very merciful to other people. But God's holiness, God is pure light. In him there's no darkness at all. No, he doesn't change like shifting shadows. You know, we all are li- have a lot of grace we are, we are swimming in um, in our relationship with God. The other word for sin there is trespasses. Trespasses and sin. So sin, sin is missing the mark. You, you tried, but you didn't hit it. That's all right, right? Trespasses is when you stubbornly choose what you know to be the wrong thing on purpose. This is willful sin, right? So these two categories of sin pretty much cover the gamut of what we are capable of. You know, we, we try our best, our, our good deeds are, the Bible says, like filthy rags when held up to the righteousness of Christ. So we, we try our best, we miss the mark, that's our sin, and, we, that, and sometimes we actually consider two options and say, you know, I'm going to step outside of God's, what God would want, and do this thing because of, because of what I want to do. Trespasses and sins. All of us have trespasses and sins in our lives, you know? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Something I've learned about my relationship with God is that the fact that I have sin is, yes, it's bad news, but it's good news because God wants to forgive sin. It's a great thing. God loves me and wants to forgive me and give me help in my time of need. Sometimes, um, you know, we, we simply will miss the mark. We'll snap at someone or judge someone too harshly. Sometimes we, we miss the mark by doing something on purpose. And this sinful woman and all of us who are caught in these types of patterns, when we come to Jesus, um, according to Ephesians 2, we're dead in our sins and our transgression. So when Jesus came... Uh, when this woman came before Jesus, she had her sins and her transgressions, but she still came to Jesus, right? She had hope. Our sins and transgressions are why we need to be saved. We need to be delivered and saved from our sins. Ephesians 2 goes on to elaborate on this saying in, in verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we are by nature deserving of wrath. So for this poor sinful woman, and for us, we're constantly missing God's mark, and even choosing willful rebellion at times. But we know God would want us to do. And unfortunately, the reason for this is that is our nature. Ugh! You know? We have a nature that 
finds it very natural to sin. It's what we do naturally. In fact, it seems most of the time when we sin, it seems right and even justifiable to us if, you're, if we were really honest with ourselves. It's second nature to live in transgressions, and it's also the way of the world. Um, the world system that's influenced by evil and darkness and, and Satan, in this passage it says. So if you want to think about it this way, our sinful nature is like the, a train car. And uh, the world we live in is like the train track. And they're kind of made, made for each other, hand in glove. And Ephesians says that those who are not following Jesus are living according to uh, their, their nature and the basic pattern of the world. There's not much difficulty in going that way because it's where, where everything is encouraging you to go that way in the world, including your internal life. So by nature, left to ourselves, both this sinful woman and all of sinful us, um, we live life uh, apart from God, just trying to gratify, trying to satisfy the cravings of our bodies, including the sinful desires and thoughts we've built into us, which take us away from faith in God. And it's such an easy thing to fall into. It's, it's a hopeless predicament, really, to get free from that. And that's why we need to be saved by Jesus. Now, without faith in Jesus Christ, we, we lose the race before we even start. Because both internally, our sinful nature, and, and then the, the train track, um, the way of the world, they go hand in glove. And the, the temptations of our flesh match the answers in the world. It's so easy. It's the way things are. It's the map we're following. And unfortunately, we are so broken by sin that we evaluate ourselves as being a lot better than we actually are. You know, they do survey after survey. Barna Research Group does surveys. And I heard that uh, most people think they're doing, like, awesome, you know? We, we evaluate ourselves, and even our, even our evaluation of ourselves falls prey to the, to the brokenness in our life. We're not, we're, not as, we're not doing as well as we think we are. A professor of my seminary said, you're a lot worse than you think you are, mate. I'm like, thanks, guy. Without the salvation that Jesus brings, we are on a train riding down the track at full speed in the wrong direction, without an interruption. And then to, 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 to top it all off, from our perspective, we're doing pretty good. We're doing very well. But our passage in Ephesians goes as far as to describe all of humanity as being dead in their trespasses and sins. Um, not only dead, but deserving of wrath, which is why we need saving. It doesn't get much more hopeless than dead. All of this answers the question of why. Why did we need to be saved? So, so moving on to, to verses 5 and 6, we're going to begin to see the good news that Jesus brings take shape here. Verse 5 and 6 tell us what the saving was. How did Jesus do it? What was the solution that God created to answer our sin problem? Ephesians 2.5, God made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. What a sentence that is. Wow. You could just memorize that one. God made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. I like how they, he used the word transgression, not sin, saying, you know, God made us alive even when we were dead in our willful disobedience, seeing the two options and doing the wrong thing on purpose. That's even more hard to believe to us than the other. And it says in verse 6, God raised us up with Christ 
that's resurrection, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So if we're the, the train on the track going in the wrong direction at full speed, what is God's solution for our predicament? He made us alive with Christ, even while we were still dead in our willful sin. This is amazing. God doesn't wait for us to clean up our act before he begins to save us. And in fact, I think that uh, when people try to clean themselves up before they come to God, they're already missing the point. Because we need Jesus. We need to be saved. We can't save ourselves. Isn't it cool that God doesn't wait for us to be nice, obedient kids before he begins his work of salvation? He makes us alive in Christ. We come alive. God doesn't wait for us to clean up our act. And he saves us. A pastor of mine in the past said, uh, you know, it doesn't really make much sense to take a shower before you take a bath. Just jump in with all your stuff and see what Jesus does. This is a real living faith. And Jesus has been doing this for thousands of years, right? Romans 5, 7, and 8 says it this way about God and what he did to save us and make us alive in Christ. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. We might say, we might die for a friend or a child, but for someone in the street that we don't know, probably not. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the difference between God's love and ours. Now, we might sacrifice our lives for somebody we loved very much. God sacrificed his life for his enemies, for someone that's sinning against him. That's his love. If you really believe that, that would really rock your world, right? And this message about him um, dying for, for his enemies and people that persecuted him, it appears time and time again throughout the Bible, through the prophets, through the New Testament, including the moment when Jesus asked the Father to forgive the men who were nailing him to the cross as he was being nailed to the cross on his final day on earth. That was the the crown of all the ways God had been loving in this way through Christ, forgiving the ones who killed him. You know, God's love is different from ours, but we're called to emulate God's love. We're called to copy God's love. But his love is different from ours because God loves even his enemies perfectly. God saved you. He saved me. When we were at our very worst, when we were in willful rebellion, before we got our act together, while we were still acting as enemies of God, if you recall the Apostle Paul, you know, he considered himself the chief of sinners, uh, a proud Pharisee, and also someone who was persecuting the early Christians and killing, dragging them out and killing them. Um, while he was doing that, God made him alive in Christ. And Paul became the biggest proponent of our faith and wrote much of the New Testament with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So this poor woman we see in, uh, in Luke 7... And um, she's still in her transgressions, still in her sins, but she heard about Jesus. She found out where he was, and she made a plan. And who knows how that came about? Who knows? Maybe she had just finished the night of sinning, sinning it up, you know, like the day before, just continuing the pattern of sin. All the while in the back of her mind, 
She has this gnawing feeling. I need to see this Jesus. There's got, there's got to be another, another way to live. There's got to be something out there. So she comes to Jesus after she's made this plan and demonstrates faith and great love by breaking an extremely expensive jar of perfume and anointing Jesus' feet while weeping on his feet and wiping his feet with her tears and kissing his feet. Now she was still in her transgressions and sins, but she had a hunch about Jesus that he could show her another way to live. And he did. And what was Jesus' solution for this sinful woman? It was to forgive her of her sins. This is, this is another hand in glove. God loves his people. He desires to forgive them of their sins. We sin against God. He desires to forgive us. He desires to set us free so we might be fully alive, fully human, living in the fullness of life that God desires for his kids, for his children, right? Verse 44 of, of Luke 7. Then Jesus turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Um, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. Now listen, Jesus is sort of shaming Simon a little bit because the whole kisses and foot washing, this is all part of hospitality at anyone's home. It's what is expected when you get into someone's home. And so Jesus is like, well, I can see you saying to yourself, this woman's a terrible sinner, but also you didn't do any of the hospitality stuff, and she's kind of doing it in her own way, right? So listen to this. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. That's love, kissing feet, right? Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has forgiven little has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who enters, who even forgives sins? Jesus said to this woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, this woman's transgressions and her sins, which Jesus described as many sins, which other people could see and shamed her over, they were in an instant forgiven by Jesus. And this interaction is not exceptional. This is textbook for Jesus. This is textbook for God. This is who God is. And Jesus uses this woman as a case study for all the people that are, inter that are watching this interaction in this house. And he concludes saying, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It troubles some people that the woman didn't ask Jesus to forgive her, per se, because people can be very you know, legalistic with a text or a person. But like, she made a plan. She went to Jesus. He knew her heart. He knew what she needed. Hand in glove, right? Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman was following her flesh, the basic pattern of the world. She was committed to that. But when she heard of the word of Jesus, it sparked faith in her heart. It sparked faith. And all of a sudden, she had a desire to show love to Jesus because she had heard about his love for sinners. And she had hope. That hope led to faith. The faith led to action. A costly worship of pouring out this perfume on his feet. And then that led to Jesus pronouncing forgiveness over her life. Textbook is what this is. It's, this is Jesus. This is what God does for anyone who hears the word of Christ and comes to him in faith. For anyone that's sparked 
faith. It doesn't matter the nature of the person's transgressions and sins. It doesn't matter that the person has a bad reputation or has been a screw-up time and time again. Is that person that feels they are black sheep in God's family or in their own family? None of that matters. When someone sparks faith in their heart after hearing about the word of Jesus, what Jesus can do, and then comes to him, he forgives their sins. It's what Jesus does. It's what he desires to do. It's why he made a plan to go to the cross the moment sin entered the world. All the, that's, that's what Jesus does. And that leads us all to my favorite part of the sermon, which is the, the why, which you may have heard dripping from some of my other words. What's the reason Jesus saved us? And the final point of Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 answers that question. Why does Jesus save people who come to him with a spark of faith? Why does Jesus forgive this woman of her many sins? Did he save her because she anointed his feet with expensive perfume? Did he save her because she was emotional and she, she was weeping in his presence? Did he save her because she washed his feet with her tears and dried her feet with her hair? No. All of those actions that the woman who came to Jesus did, beautiful actions, they came about because of her faith. She had faith. Maybe just a spark of faith. The way uh, someone who's medically hopeless is given is is told well there's an experimental treatment now she had faith she was desperate romans 10:17 says faith comes by hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about jesus so this woman still dead in her sins she sparked faith within when she heard about what jesus could do for people who came to him now maybe maybe it's one of her clients sharing a story with her about what he had heard about Jesus. Or maybe she knew someone whose child had been delivered from demons. Or maybe she had a neighbor who'd been healed from paralysis or an issue of bleeding. Some of the stories we read about Jesus in the Bible. Whatever she heard about Jesus, it sparked faith in her. And she didn't just stay home with that, with that spark. She came to Jesus. She not only came to Jesus, she poured out her valuable love on him. And all of this was a result of her faith, which was activated when she heard something about the word, about who Jesus was and what he was doing. You know, faith comes through hearing, hearing by the word of God. This woman found out something amazing about God that day when she came to him. She found out the why behind all the stories she might have heard about Jesus. As it says in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So why does God save people? Why does God forgive people of their sins and their willful transgressions? God saves people because God loves people. God loves the world. I don't want to move too hastily through this passage, as we tend to do, so I'd like to, I'd like to read this part again because we often will just gloss over these words and, and, and we'll, we'll emphasize certain parts and we'll de-emphasize others. And even this is a part of our sin problem, right? 
Because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we are dead in transgressions, it's by grace you have been saved. Now, according to this passage, God offers salvation to anyone who comes to him with a spark of faith. Because of God's great love for humankind. And because God is simply, he's rich in mercy. He is desiring to forgive all who come to him by faith. That's his desire. That's why Jesus came. To save people. So, makes him a very, very good savior for us who are sinners and sufferers and strugglers. Just listen to some of these passages we often overlook or gloss over. John 3.16 For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The world is, 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 is a word that means everyone, the whole cosmos. God loves the world. That's why he gave his Son. Romans 5, 7, and 8. read this earlier. Very rarely will someone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us with this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. How about 1 John 3, 1? See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Let me go back to the Old Testament, Exodus 34, where God says his name in front of Moses. How does God describe himself? The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And then my, probably one of my, probably, um, one of my favorite verses in Scripture, I memorized this in college, Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul. Forget not all of his benefits who forgives all of your sins, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. As high as the heavens are above the earth, it means an incalculable distance. As far as the east is from the west, incalculable distance. That's how much he loves us and how far he's removed our sins from us when we come to him. When this woman came to Jesus, her sins were removed from her. Infinity. I've been really struck by what um, Dane Orland teaches us in his book, Gentle and Lowly. He says, and this is not quoting him, but this is the idea he weaves in, we are so broken in our sin at times that we easily believe, almost by default, we easily believe that God is harsh, that God's love is not trustworthy. We, we tend to believe that God doesn't really love us, but maybe he's just tolerating us, and maybe he's angry with us most of the time. This is our sin nature causes us to actually misperceive God. That's how deep it goes, right? Even these images of God that we hold in our minds and, and prioritize in our, in our thoughts, they tend to bring, about, bring out the harshness and forget the love and the mercy. It's our filter. Of course, you know, God both saves and judges in the Bible— 
But we tend to miss the message when it talks about why he saves and judges. And it is because of his great love. Now, God is love. Even though God's great love is, is shared for us throughout the Old and New Testaments and then perfectly manifested in the person of Christ, like we're seeing with this woman, this is, a, this is the interaction of God with a woman, um, we still favor harsh pictures of God and we minimize the love that God has for us. So if, in a way, our, our hardware is, is damaged. It's like someone who has a, a ham radio tower and then a storm comes and knocks part of it off. You know, there's still a signal coming in, but that person can no longer receive it very easily. Psalm 103, I think that's, I think there are, our, our tendency to minimize the love and maximize the, th- the harsher parts of Scripture is why I think Psalm 103 makes the point that uh, God does not always accuse people. How many of you feel like God is often accusing you day and night, you know? He has not accused people. It actually says there's no condemnation for people who are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't condemn people like we do. He does not harbor his anger forever. It doesn't say he can't be angry. It says he doesn't harbor his anger. He does not treat us as our sins deserve ever or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, that's as far as he's removed our transgressions from us. Why do we consider God to be so harsh and cold and unloving when God describes his greatness by talking about how merciful he is to those who are dead in their sins? God describes his love and greatness by the mercy that he gives to sinners who are lost. So we must allow the Bible to inform us about what God is like. We must resist the urge to paint a monstrous picture of God, which our sinful nature again desires to do. If you hear people that are not Christians talk about God or Christians uh, any other place, you can see that people, people maximize and minimize all the time. When God forgave this sinful woman, you know, it says she was still in her trespasses and sins. She heard about Jesus, the word of Christ, it sparked faith in her, and God did just what he promised he would do in Psalm 103 for her. He did not harbor his anger towards her, if, but he separated her sins from her an immeasurable distance. He did this because of his great love, which is also an unmeasurable distance, as high as the heavens are above the earth. This is why God saved her. That's why God saves us. Because God's glory, his glory is showing mercy to people who are dead in their sins. This is when God is... Uh, the, mo- the biggest demonstration of who God is is found when he seeks out his people and, and has mercy on them. Maybe you think I'm making too much of the love of God, um, acting like, you know, God is love or something, which is obviously unbiblical. Um, I'm just kidding. It's in the Bible, right? God is love. He says that of himself in 1 John 4.16. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. God is rich in mercy. It's like that song we sing. It's who he is. You know, he's rich in mercy. He's a good father. His eye is on the sparrow. 
as hard as he tries to make that point to us, I feel like we often just don't get it because we're, we're jumbled. But we have to take this by faith. We have to let this spark faith in us and let that faith cause us to make a plan to come to Jesus as we are, to be saved, to be renewed, to be given purpose. God is rich in mercy. Now that's, that's the why. This is an opportunity for God to show his mercy. If you heard about Jesus and all that he was, he was doing, let's say that we are living in the time when Jesus walked the earth physically, if you heard about him like the sinful woman did, about how he, he seemed to love and help people that came to him, you know, would, that, would that spark faith in you and hope like it did for her? Would you come to Jesus recognizing that he alone has the words of eternal life, like uh, the Apostle Peter said? To whom shall we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. And if you came to Jesus in faith, after hearing of him, bringing your spark to Jesus, would you then experience his love and forgiveness personally, just like this woman did? High as the heavens are above the earth is his love, far as the east is from the west, his sins are our sins are separated from us? The answer is yes. Absolutely. God does not change. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the exact representation of his likeness. This, is, this interaction with Jesus and this woman is how God interacts with sinners, with all of us. Jesus would not wait for you to stop with all the transgressions and sins before he'd love and forgive you. He wouldn't insist that you got things cleaned up before he would touch you. In the great mystery of the world, our holy God, in which there is no darkness at all, who is pure light, through Christ, he, he gets right into our, he's in, in us by his spirit, for crying out loud. How much closer can you be? It's an amazing mystery to me. The Jesus you would find would be the same Jesus who loved the sinful woman while she was still in her sins and her trespasses. And Jesus would see the faith you exercised when you heard about him. You'd see the spark. He'd honor you with a personal revelation of his love if you allowed him to. And he would give you purpose, transforming your life. Now, that's, that's who God is. That's who Jesus is, who the scriptures say um, is the image of the invisible God. So, so the answer is God's love is the why. He's offered salvation to all who come to him. Finishing up the passage, it says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ, Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good things which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, salvation is a free gift of God that we receive through faith after hearing a word about Jesus. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by coming to Jesus in response to that spark of faith. So there is no boasting about who's holier or, you know, who is a better Christian. It's, it's completely excluded. There's no grounds for boasting. You know, salvation is all God's work in and around us. It's the spark that God puts in our hearts. And God saved us all because of his great love for us. Because he's rich in mercy. He, he saved us so that in the coming ages he could show the incomparable, incomparably great riches of his forgiveness and grace in Christ Jesus. We are, 
if, you were, if there was a trophy case, and if it were humane to do so, you'd be in the trophy case. And uh, look, at, look at this trophy of God's grace. He, he, loves, he loves us. He loves to show what he's done in us. He loves it. He loves faith stories. He loves all these little ways in which we take our little spark and come to Jesus and see him transform our lives. He loves it. And, what, and what's, what's really an amazing thought is um, that God has prepared works of his kingdom in advance for us to walk in, it says in our passage today. That God has prepared works for us in advance of us coming to him in faith, in which we will then walk. So each person's path is going to look a little different when they come to Jesus, because God has different works for each Christian to walk in. You know, my calling currently is to pastor and encourage you to be an under-shepherd for Jesus, to love you well, to teach you how to love, to teach you to love your enemies, to follow God, and uh, to love one another. You know, that's my work. That's my calling right now. But God has works for you, too. God has works for you to walk in that you will never know about until you take that spark and come to Jesus. So what, what an amazing hope we have in Christ. You know, we have a heavenly purpose from, from God to fulfill with our lives. It would have been enough for him to forgive us to give us grace. But he says, you know, actually, I have works prepared for you. I have purpose for your life. I invite you to respond in, in one of the following ways today. So, it's possible that you've never been a person with faith. Uh, you've never felt that spark within you as you've heard the word about Jesus. Or maybe you've had that spark, but you've decided not to follow through and not to come to Jesus. My invitation to you this morning is, if you have that tiny bit of faith sparked in you this morning, then I invite you to actually come to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and trespasses, to be set on a road of doing uh, the work of God that he desires for you to do in his world, to pray a prayer of surrender to Jesus in response to your little spark of faith, and see what God does. And Jesus loves you, even in your sin, and wants you to live a purposeful life. And uh, the only way is through Christ. Secondly, others of you have, have sparked faith and come to Jesus, but you have not continued following Jesus. You know, maybe you've been sucked right back into the basic pattern of the world, allowing your sinful nature to lead you in the way that you are going. I want you to know that God is not disgusted with you. you know, God is slow to anger and rich in love. Just like the first time you came to Jesus in faith, um, Jesus is filled with joy to receive you, once again, to lead you to continue your journey of walking um, out the will of God in your life. Do not think that just because you've stopped responding to Christ that he doesn't want you back. That's not true. We know this because of the prodigal son story in Luke 15, among many other places. God the Father sits on the front porch looking down the road, peering to see his children coming home, right? That's the picture of God and his love. The third way I'd ask you to respond is to consider sharing this message of grace, forgiveness, and love with people in your life. You know, this is an invitation for all people. There aren't some people that are not, you know, they're hopeless. There's, everyone is getting sparked by God. So I invite you to share this good, good news. Maybe you share this sermon if it makes sense. Maybe you share a scripture. Maybe you begin praying for somebody. But let the spark that God has put in your life uh, bear fruit. So whether you are coming to God for the first time, whether you are coming back to God, or whether you are just wanting to share this good, good news, this good message for everybody, um, let's worship him this morning and respond to how God leads us.